Okie dokie. <laughs> Got some weird energy tonight. <laughs> it's a weird energy tonight. It's like, I want to fight everybody, but also I'm a puddle of tears and mud. Maybe some confetti. Okay, no, the fighting, the tears, <laughs> the mud, that's all next week. Oh, yeah, the swamp. Get to the, yeah, the swamp's not till next week. We're Omashu this week. Omashu. Yeah, Omashu. 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 It reminded me of, um, God, did you ever watch Between the Lions? No, the puppets, like, I'm okay oh. with puppets, but those particular puppets freaked me out. So they had There's not this right. fun segment where, um... They would take like words that, you know, were um, combinations and stuff like that of the words. And there'd be one night on the other side about to like joust or anything in the other the other side. And they'd like say their way and then they run into them and smash together. And that's what I picture when they're like, oh, ma, shoo, oh, ma, shoo, oh, ma, shoo. <laughs> I know I said I didn't watch Between the Lions and I didn't. <laughs> But I did watch the defunct land episode on Between the Lions, so I know a lot about Between the Lions. I don't know what that means. The what? Defunct Land is a YouTube channel. Okay. And uh, normally he does like hour long deep dives into theme park attractions that no longer exist. Okay. But every now and then he sprinkles that in with like hour long deep dives into TV shows that no longer exist. And he did an episode on Between the Lions. Yeah. He has a five-part series on the various projects of Jim Henson. I need to watch that. It will make you cry. I sobbed at the end of multiple of those episodes. That sounds like a Colton thing. (laughs) I mean, have you seen footage of Jim Henson's funeral? No. You will cry. It's a funeral. Big Bird cries as he's singing. It's a funeral. Of course people are crying. You're crying thinking about it now. No. That's why I watched The Good Place recently, so I could have my my good cry. Yeah. Colton, this week has been full of news. (laughs) So full of news. We are getting Avatar Studios. This is the most quarantine whiplash emotional transition we go from what (laughs) supreme jim henson muppet sadness to the joy of avatar studios avatar studios okay and so i was actually talking to a listener and we were talking like less than a week ago about how netflix was screwing with the ages potentially of the characters in the live action one and how we were feeling about that And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, yesterday, like, within within a week of that huge news in the fandom, Bryke announces (laughs) Avatar Studios with Nickelodeon Paramount+. Plus. I saw the announcement, and I genuinely thought, like, oh, cool, new project. And then I read the announcement, and no, not just a new project, not just a new show or a movie or something. A studio that's going to be working on multiple yeah. things. So yeah. much stuff. So, so much like, stuff. They can do what they want. I am I am ready. I am here for it. Me too. And they start production this year? They <laughs> I mean, 
they've had some good things like like churning in their brains with i mean they've had a schedule of the comics going out with the um katara's pirate journey and they've got they had announced suki alone and a little bit more into toff's metal bending academy and they've really been expanding there but i think my favorite thing about this announcement is that they're just gonna tell some new stories like And it's not just limiting themselves to like, oh, we're going to do a new series about a new avatar. They're like, we we're going to do a movie potentially. We're we're it will be mostly animation, but not potentially. They're going to do a movie. movie. They're going to do a movie. movie. The first thing they're working on is a movie that they're working on it right now. (laughs) And like, not just a movie like theaters. Yeah, go see it in the theater and have a good time. Yeah, I am so here for it. And just like, it makes me wonder if this, like, if this was an option when they were able to walk away from Netflix, mm. you know, if if this if may have been a good leverage of, yeah. point, you know, um, either way, I am happy to have people who have cared about these characters and cared about this universe and the creation of this universe and thought about it so carefully from top to bottom to be able to expand it in the way that they want. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. It makes me want to start a rewatch before going to see all the new stuff. (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, wait. We're already perfectly timed. Hey. I definitely, when I saw the announcement, they were like, oh, yeah, movie next year. I was like, back of the envelope, we're probably going to be coming up on the end of Korra as the new stuff oh my God. to work its way out. Oh, my God. Thank you, Brake, for Thank timing you. your content release <laughs> with us running out of content. I mean, I would have done book club with you for Kiyoshi and... Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and Comic Metal Club Academy and all that. And yeah, the yeah, search. But- but now we'll also have more visual media to talk about as well. I'm here for it. Visual, so much stuff. audio. I started watching another show as background show recently, and I was like, this music sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why do I hate this music and background music so much? Oh, yeah, because the thing I'm comparing it to, because now Colton has me paying attention to all the background, all the music, including like the little transition, everything is Atla. How am I supposed to compare that? What's your new background show? It's terrible. It's a bad show, and I I need a bad show. What what is it? The 4400. (laughs) (laughs) Totally not judging you for that. Yes, I am. Silly sci-fi show that is being rebooted by the CW in the next year. Are you serious? Yes. They're rebooting it, except they're literally just taking the whole concept and doing it. It's basically they're doing the 100, but the 4400. It's all young adults who were abducted between, like, the rise of Sputnik and now, and 4,400 of them are returned back from a beam of light. So, like, total, because I went to look up, I wanted to look up the uh, a little bit more about how uh, Masharala Ali uh, got involved in the 4,400 and how he came to be from that show where it's a terrible show, but he is a bright, shining, amazing light and incredibly talented actor and, you know, becomes an Oscar winner and stuff like what happened <laughs> and uh i was like 4400 news and it's like cw reboot and i'm like i'm so, excuse me <laughs> who asked for that <laughs> no one but at least someone heard us about avatar studios <laughs> 
Well, if you want a good new show, I have a recommendation for you. Tell me. And I was going to save it to talk about next week because I wanted to focus on the, but like, it's close enough because the whole Avatar team worked on this show. Is it is it Clone Wars? No. I mean, oh. I want you to watch Clone Wars, Okay, but it's what? Dragon Prince. Dragon Prince. I've been hearing about this. It. I binged it the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. It is so good. Okay. See, that that'll be my next show that I like watch, watch. I use bad TV shows for my background noise while I'm working. I use bad or like syndicated TV shows. So that way I don't have to like pay attention. Yeah, this is definitely you. I want you to watch it. Yeah, I want to watch it. All right. On your recommendation, I will watch. You're going to want to watch it because the main character is voiced by Jack DeSena. Uh, Oh, I love my boy. (laughs) And I got to say. Yeah. He doesn't do much like like he it's big soccer energy, but it's it's just his nor like it's his Sokka voice tone. And yeah. it just brings. <sighs> see, that voice just brings me home. This that voice has been with me for so it just brings me home. So, yeah, there is um listeners minor spoilers for a throwaway line that brought me so much joy in season three of Dragon Prince. Just like skip forward like a minute. Um. There's a moment in season three where he meets a character who has a staff that has like a bunch of detachable bits at the top Uh that she can throw. Yeah. And his character goes up to it and picks one off and goes, it's this seems familiar. (laughs) And and then other characters like, what is it? And he's like, boomerang. He just puts it back and that's it. And they just move on. Oh, my God. It is. Oh, so good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Cool. 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 You sold me. You sold me. You sold me. I'm in it. You want to get into this episode? Let's get into it. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hello and welcome to The Pie Show. I'm your host, Kelly. And I'm Colton. And today we are talking about Season 2, Chapter 3, Return to Omashu. I kept thinking it was Chapter 4 for some reason when I was doing my watch and doing my notes and everything. I get that, but I also kept thinking that today was Friday and not Thursday, <laughs> which I I don't know if I'm going to have to cut that because I have no idea when this episode's coming out. So our list, I might have just really messed with some of our listeners. Um, oops, sorry. Today is today. Today is today. Or is it? <laughs> in Chapter 3, Aang enters Omashu so he can learn earthbending from King Bumi, but the city is in the hands of the Fire Nation. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, because that's how the episode starts. That is, except there's a ding. Is it a ding, or is it more of like a wah-wah-wah-wah-wah? No, it actually has the chime at the beginning. Yes. I was more focused on like the big brass. 
I heard the chime and I was like, oh, because this is what I would say is kind of Azula's real intro. Like as much as we met her, remember when we talked about? Yeah, this is definitely the episode that I was thinking of as like, this is when we meet Azula. This is when she puts the team together. This is when, I mean, this is when we meet the Azula that we're going to see for the rest of the show. Yes, exactly. And so starting with the little ding and like the Azula theme, I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And so many more dings throughout the whole episode. There's a lot of dings. A lot She's of dings. She's just so devious the whole time. Hey, girl can't stop. Like, she just, she's keeping on keeping on. I gotta respect that. I do like how the recap, it kind of builds that it's Azula's episode by having, like, you know, she's the first one in the recap. Mm-hmm. It was short this week, though. And yeah, I don't know about you, but I was just left with the feeling of like, oh, right, we're underdogs again. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Ever since we got to the Northern Water Tribe, I don't like I haven't felt like I'm watching a team of underdogs. I felt like I'm watching this, you know, competent force that worked hard and now they're on top and they're fighting for what they believe in. They have an army behind them and a whole like society Mm -hmm. of people behind them. And that's this week. It's that was gone. It knocks all the air out of it. It's like a punch to the gut. When you see the Fire Nation flags over the city and the scaffolding on it and the bridges that are reaching out because Omashu, they even say Omashu always seemed untouchable. And I was like, didn't it? It's on the mo- mountaintop, isolated. And it, it, I, in season one, it felt like the first safe haven that they really reached. And now it's just gone. Yeah. Yeah. Nowhere is safe anymore. They actually, um, there was an idea, some of that scaffolding, what they wanted to show, but it just didn't fit into the episode in a way, is that uh, they wanted the Fire Nation to try and make Omashu another place where earthbenders couldn't bend. And so they were going to have the Fire Nation coat the city in metal, which, you know, earthbenders can't bend metal right now. That would have been such an interesting subplot. Yeah. Especially because, you know, Sokka says now the only other Earth Kingdom stronghold is Ba Sing Se. Yeah. Omashu is, like, that's the frontline stronghold. That's that's the fortress at the start. Yeah, so, and it makes sense a little bit more about why there's so much scaffolding as well. It says, in Return to Omashu with Avatar Extra's bonus commentary, it was mentioned that the Fire Nation's plan was to make the entire city of Omashu earthbending proof. To this extent, they began covering the entire city in metal. Um, And it really reminds me of the episodes with Haru and his dad and how they take them onto the metal boat on the middle of the ocean so they can, you know, remove the benders from their element. They're taken out of their element. And given the strategical advantage of Omashu for earthbenders, that's a lot of work the Fire Nation has to do. It's a lot of city to cover. Yeah, yeah. Because it's all Earth. Like, we talked about that in the in, in the original Omashu episode uh, with the, what's it called? The tracks, the the mail system. The tracks and the doorways. And the in, doorways in the castle. and the castle and everything is Earth. The Fire Nation has to build doors. Mm-hmm.
so I don't know if I have a lot to say about it, but I do just want to mention, because I think this is one of the first episodes where we can talk about it. Um, the truly masterful way that the writers of Avatar deal with revisiting old concepts and, and former ideas that we've already seen. Do share. We've been to Omashu before. We've yeah. had to solve the problem of how do we enter this fortress? Because, I mean, the, it's a city, mm. but it's a, it's built as a fortress. Yeah. And, you know, the last time we had the whole old man Aang gag and, and trying to oh, you know, yeah. sneak past the guards lying to them. And this time we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Aang is just like, come on, guys. And he takes his friends to, like, this sewer <laughs> outlet. Yes. And they have to swim up the sewer to get inside the city and pop out a storm drain in the middle of the street. Okay, I laughed out loud at that because you see Aang and he's airbending things out of the way. And you see Katara and she's waterbending the wa- the muck out of the way. And literally all of it is just splashing back onto Sokka. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Like, he just continues on through the muck. And I'm like, mm, that just... Mm. Why isn't he in the middle of the group? <laughs> they didn't care enough. Like, also, they could have bent it a little further back. They could have reached. They didn't. <laughs> yeah. But Sokka even says right before they enter the sewer, you know, why didn't we do this the last time? And it's played for laughs with, you know, oh, it's a smelly, stinky sewer, ha, 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 you're covered in crap. But it's really, like, if you think about it, good writing. Yeah. You know, you just manufactured a way to get him. We know that Aang knows this city inside and out from his childhood sneaking around with Boomy. I guess Boomy, then the prince of Omashu. <laughs> for all we know, he was a child king. This is true. This is true. We have And Aang just didn't have a concept of royalty because he lived with the monks. Who knows? That could be oh, we have no idea when Boomy became king. Yeah, no idea. He may very well have always been King Boomy. Blew my mind. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> now you're just thinking about that, yeah, aren't you? <laughs> I'm thinking about Boomy's childhood. <laughs> yeah, we literally don't know. Um They I'd never to- say in like any extra <sighs> commentary or interviews that a convention maybe. I would I have to look it up maybe uh and see if it was potentially in there cuz I feel like we talked about this before but I could be wrong. Um elderly eccentric blah, 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 testing the avatar early life. This might be a puzzle for our listeners to solve. It says it just says sometime later in his life Bumi was crowned king of Amashu. Okay, so he wasn't a, So he wasn't, he wasn't a, necessarily a child king when wasn't we saw him as a child. Necessarily a king when he was friends with Aang. Uh he was born in Well now wait a minute. He's friends with Aang now and he's a king. Okay. How dare you besmirch their friendship? True. King Bumi was born in twelve uh in year twelve of whatever they're going with for time. Twelve BG. Yeah, twelve BG. Yeah, before the genocide. Oh yeah. Is that what it stands Wait, for? Wait, is this an avatar thing that I know that you don't? I have never really paid attention, never looked into it, but then again. Yeah, the the timeline uh, is for, you know, purposes, it's measured in years before the airbender genocide and after the airbender genocide. That makes a lot of sense. So he was born in 12 BG. They took it from Star Wars. (laughs) Does that shock me? No. Star Wars measures time before the Battle of Yavin and after the Battle of Yavin. (laughs) Uh, they were kids, uh, and used to play in the Omashu sewer system, as you do, as one does, as someone who has played a lot of Stardew Valley recently as well, uh, yeah, as you, as one does. You know, they just like to hang back and shoot the shit. 
Yeah. Um, and sometime later in his life, Bumi was crowned king of Omashu. So we do not know at what age he became king. I mean, we also don't know if Omashu is a hereditary monarchy. He may not have been prince. He could have just claimed it. Maybe the- he was elected. Maybe he claimed it. Maybe it was an award of some sort. Maybe it was a prophecy. Who knows? Maybe he won it gambling. Um, it's just very, I mean, it's strange. Just maybe it was a punishment of some sort. Yeah. So it even says in the, in the info about Boomy, when Boomy was first introduced, there was no indication that he was royalty, suggesting that he somehow earned the title of King of Omashu. That is a fascinating story that I want Avatar Studios to tell. <laughs> How did Boomy become king? Yeah. Give me that origin story, please. I very much would like to know more about Boomy. Um, very much would like to know more about Boomy. He is a fascinating character. He could have married into the royal family. The, like, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> my brain was trying to comprehend the sort of person that would willingly date Boomy. But uh, <laughs> too much chaos, Kelly. Too much, <laughs> even for you. Yeah, that is too much chaos, even for me. <laughs> even for me. But um, yeah, that that is that is a dive into Boomy that I did not expect us to do. But he is a fascinating character, and I mean, he is in the comics for other things, like later on. But he is considered one of the oldest Atla characters, up to one hundred and twelve. So yes, the writers are brilliant for writing in the sewer and lampshading it for the viewer, and you know, Boomy is awesome and old. I also realized Good segment. <laughs> I, well, okay. I want to say I didn't realize before watching this episode again that it's Katara who comes up with the idea of Pentapox. Yeah. In my mind, it was always Sokka, but Sokka's the one who sells it. It's those supreme acting skills. Yes, yes, with his melodrama. But yeah, so. I did not realize that until this episode. And there's like a few moments. I feel like sometimes I forget that like Katara has that kind of uh, has that ability to think up odd solutions to problems as well. It's not just Sokka who comes up with these fun, cool plans. I mean, Katara was the one who jumped on Aang's ridiculously long old man name when they first entered. Katara is clever. She is. Do you remember Aang's ridiculous old man name when they first entered Omashu? Something Patadopolis. What is it? What is it? Bonzu Pippin Patalopsicopolis. So this is the episode that I really feel is like the Azula intro episode. And I like totally forgot that she had even worked with a Fire Nation like army, like in a general and everything. And my brain was like, all right, she has her two advisors and then she goes and she gets her two girls and creates her squad. But what I found this episode is these characters of Lo and Lee, her advisors, are such an interesting comparison to Iroh. These are her masters. These are her teachers. And she has two. Well, they act as one. They do, in a way. They speak they, they're in twins. verse together. They do speak in verse together, which is fascinating. Um, I mean, Iroh speaks in his own, his own prose. Yes, and it is beautiful, but it's not verse. <laughs> it's not verse. You're right. You're right. With a partner. 
But the coordination. This makes me think about, I want to see kind of my comparison to Low and Lee and Iroh over the next two seasons. And I see a lot of influence of Iroh on Zuko. And we see those things brought through Zuko's actions. Um, Low and Lee seem more of if they're kind of... Not really the engine on this boat, but like the rudder just like slightly steering her in directions because she's got all the fuel she needs. It's an interesting comparison because I see Iroh as more of like like the Obi-Wan or the Yoda to Zuko's Luke. But I see Loan Lee, especially with the verse, as the witches <laughs> from Macbeth. Yes, there's a there's a distance between Azula and them, whereas mm -hmm. Iroh and Zuko have this very close familiarity. Or the the contemporary incarnation of the witches that everybody knows, the fates from Hercules. Oh yes, very much the fates. The fates are just the witches. Same exact thing. It is the same thing, but yeah. Um, but having these two kind of on her shoulder and in her ear is a fascinating look and when i am thinking of where azula lands in her character arc and feeling kind of torn and like two people in a way she has these two with her so i just i i wanted to point them out early on so that way we could talk about it a bit more as we go it's not the same mentor relationship that iroh has with zuko and i think that can make all the difference yeah i remember one of the things that like i had in my head of like oh i want to pay attention when we get there uh for this rewatch was um, like I, I will admit that on my first watch of the show, Lo and Lee, in my mind, were, you know, they were not a single individual, but they were one character. <laughs> I'm Lee. She's Lo. Which one of us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to, I remember, you know, one of the things that I thought about in my own head of going through things that I want to, you know, use this show as an opportunity to, to talk about and to track is fully looking at the two of them as the two of them not as mm -hmm. you know monolithic as i had originally and so far how's that going it's not I going mean, well it's i mean they're written as a single character i think the thing is it it is yeah it is very monolithic but it i think their relationship with azula and how they interact with her is a very interesting comparison to iroh and zuko's relationship yeah I think given the reverse situation, if Azula was in Zuko's shoes. Oh, I'm sorry. Whatever happened to, well, Azula wouldn't be in Zuko's shoes. Azula wouldn't. Uh -huh, Azula uh -huh, wouldn't. Uh -huh. But you have me thinking outside of my own brain. Come live in my brain for a little bit. Yeah, this is what I'm doing. You open my mind to these things, Colton. And I, you know, try to think outside of myself occasionally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you going to enter a chime there? Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to, I don't think think that Lo and Lee would be as much the support for Azula that Iroh can be. And I think we're going to have moments where Azu where if Azula was with Iroh, if it was a Zuko-Iroh moment, it would be where Zuko leans on Iroh, but it's Azula and her support system is Lo and Lee. What does she do? Yeah, I, I see that. I agree with it. And I just want to draw attention to the fact that 
Iroh would not be a good support for Azula. No. At all in no. any way. <laughs> in that in that scenario where the roles are reversed. Um yeah. but I actually that's an interesting question. Like who what sort of person would be a good Iroh to Azula? Two people and their names are May and Ty Lee. Let's get into it. It's a long, long way to Bossing Say, but the girls in the city, they look so pretty. We have the ultimate squad goals creation, everything here with the Royal Fire Academy for Girls just had like the best class, didn't it? It's That's like, what- <laughs> it's the two aesthetics. Okay, we are introduced to May and Tylee this episode. I love this triangle so much. Azula, May, Tylee, the most badass girls. They are like, ugh. Oh, yeah. So, wait, do... (laughs) I think we need to back up, though, and talk about introductions. Yes. Let's talk about the introduction of them. Well, first, can I can I just say, how does Azula have friends and Zuko just, like, doesn't? I mean, I can definitely see how Azula goes to school, like, I'm going to get people to think that we're friends so that I can use them for ultimate power. Ha ha ha. And Zuko goes to school and he's like, what are you doing? I was coloring with that. I think the other thing is... like, I get it. Azula does have this... I think Azula really wants to be liked and wants to be loved. Whether she can return that love is a different story. But she wants to be loved. And Zuko doesn't? Oh, Zuko does. How many hours have we spent talking about how he just wants his father (laughs) to love him? She has a little bit more finesse than Zuko does. Uh, but I'm just saying in that whole like going to school scenario, like she wants she wants that attention and she will manipulate the situation to get that attention. She'll be popular. Yes. Lar. But let's get into our introductions. We have is the first person we meet May? I think yeah, we see May first. We see May first, and she is this goth girl, just bored and looking for an adventure. And one drops into her lap with the Avatar and the rebellion, the rebels, the resistance, the, the resistance, the resistance. The rebels and, and she- the resistance are two totally different groups. That- Totally different groups. The resistance. And she jumps right in. Like, you, j- like I loved seeing the spark in her eyes when she's like, I can fight this. So, like, there's a full royal guard there. Yeah. Ostensibly, her parents are somewhat powerful. Like, at oh, this they're point, governors. everyone- Her in the- dad's the governor. Okay, but what I mean is, like, everyone that we've seen in the Fire Nation that has a position of power has been a decently strong bender. And so I think it's safe to assume- at this point, I mean, we'll, you know, whatever we find out. Yeah. But it's safe to assume at initial watch that, like, her parents are probably pretty strong benders. They also have a royal guard. And the teenager is the one running and throwing the knives. So the thing is, they could be benders. I don't necessarily, we don't necessarily know if they are benders. Especially because, you know, we do learn, like, later on that there is, I mean, there are just rich people out there just like... Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, so, I, don't, I don't think they're benders. I think if they were, we would see them bend. That tends to be very a thing. much. Yeah. Benders just can't stop bending. But I think this is besides Jet and his crew. This is one of the first times we really see someone jump in with like conventional weapons to fight benders. Are you saying a boomerang is not conventional? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm. Well, yeah, no, I am saying a boomerang is not a conventional <laughs> weapon. Um. Okay, tell you what, you come over here. I'm gonna get a boomerang. <laughs> But I think it's really interesting to see her jump in and dive in, and she's not afraid. Yeah. There's no fear there. There is excitement. And Team Avatar, a little afraid. She's throwing a lot of little arrows, and they're running with fear in their eyes. Those little arrows, they're pointy. They'll get you. Yeah, but uh, I really love May. Uh, I think she gets a lot of flack. Does she? Yeah. Everyone that I talk about Avatar with loves May. Yeah. No, the fandom has not been kind to May, mostly because they saw her as standing in the way of Zutara. Um, and when I was in the like like when I was in the fandom, that was a big issue. And also a lot of people have problems with May because of uh her they see her as emotionless and not caring enough for other people and stuff like that. Um I'm like, girl, that's just her depression. <laughs> She, you know. And she's just nuanced. Yeah, she's got a lot of nuance to her. So I, I love May. I do too. In this house, we stand May. We stand May. And let's talk about another character introduction that we stand. Tylee. Tylee, best girl. Tylee, best girl. We stand May, but Tylee, best girl. I I will say, uh, listeners, I am I had never actually said Tylee Best Girl prior to doing this rewatch. And uh, my my husband also is, is a Tylee Best Girl. I know a few other listeners who are Tylee Best Girl. So I think there is enough evidence also in her character, in her nuance, in uh, what she brings to the table as a Tylee Best Girl. I just like how it seems so very often, despite the fact that we never talk about our avatar opinions. Your husband and I are so consistently <laughs> in agreement. And you just have to hear it from both sides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. But you're just, you know, what? you're just surrounded by men of taste. Tylee, best girl. <laughs> And it's funny, I think, again, my other my other thing about being in the fandom early on was a lot of people, a lot of the Tylee, and maybe why I was a little resistant to the Tylee best girl, is because, of course, a fandom in which there are multiple women that are friends, they would compare the two, so they would compare Tylee versus May, and I'm like, what are you doing? No, 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 no. You cannot. No, 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 no. They're you too- should not, first should, of all. Yeah, should not, but cannot. 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 And so that is where that is where my my May Stan <laughs> comes in. Because for a long I'm like, can't like there can be multiple female characters who are friends that we can support them. We can do that. We have the technology. We have the ability. We have the ability. We have the time. So we have the time. I have the love in my heart for all the female characters. Okay. So I can I can say that. But yeah, uh, Tylee introduction. Fascinating for me. So I notice, so it is an upside down view and first person viewpoint for the intro. Have we seen other like point of view shots like this before? They're rare, but they do happen. Can you name me another one? Uh, we have Aang 
looking longingly at Katara. We have Katara looking longingly at Jet. We mm. have Sokka with Momo on his head trying to scare Aang into the Avatar state. Yes, that one. I think that one's the closest as opposed to the other ones, which were more stylized, which is, you know, this is purely like, all right, we're upside down. And we don't see the character first. We hear her and see from her perspective. Mm-hmm. Which is, oh, just mm, the symbolism there. I don't know. I don't know. It's just that it's upside down like that. Really turned you on your head. I didn't swear there. I said nothing. But you can enter a certain amount of turkey ducks if you would like uh, for whatever reaction. Because it's none, you know none it. None turkey ducks. None turkey ducks. <laughs> none turkey ducks. <laughs> Left fire bending. <laughs> <laughs> This is a weird energy. This is a weird energy we are working with tonight. But Tai Lee is the first. In her introduction, we see that her and Azula are friends. And it, everything seems like a normal friendship. Well, until, for a bit. Until, <laughs> until, until Azula's like, oh, I'm going to see your show. And as a theater kid, like, I know what the reaction should be. And it shouldn't be what Tai Lee's reaction is. <laughs> if you're truly friends. <laughs> like, uh... Uh, okay. Uh, uh, well, she uh, does a really good job of conceal, don't feel. Don't let it show. Yes, she does. But it really, as a kid, that confused me. I was like, why is she, like, why is she worried about this? Oh, no. Like, you're friends, right? Well. And then they, then the show happens. So do you think that Azula has done this before? Or do you think Tylee just knows who Azula is? I think Azula has pushed boundaries for Tylee before. And that is where her concern is, especially because Tylee has made the choice to leave behind her family. They talk about how she, you know, what's the daughter of like a prominent Fire Nation member doing with a circus. She's made the choice to come to the circus. Her aura has never been pinker. Never. She, Never. She's have she feels so at peace and so happy here. And here is a part of her past that has come back and she thinks, oh, it's gonna come and go. And I think she knows that when Azula has her mind set on something, Azula gets what she wants. And she didn't know what Azula had really her mind set on until Azula said she was staying for the show. And then it's oh no, it's me, isn't it? It's me. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I mean, she she goes on to say, the universe has given me strong hints. And I'm like, mm. and Azula has given you strong threats. Threats can be hints. Threats can be hints. Violent hints. Um, but I'll also say, I remember not understanding that Tylee was the circus performer that was happening at the time that was being threatened by Azula. And they have it zoomed out enough that like you don't necessarily see that it's Tylee until you see her face looking at the flames underneath the tightrope. We've met exactly one circus performer. That's true. There's That's true. not even anyone else in the circus tent. Did you notice that? There's no audience. This show is just this, for Azula. This is just Azula, yeah. But I also could see Azula just buying out the whole show. Like, I don't think there was a show. No, there was a show, because Tylee said that there was a show. D does she? Yeah. Okay, and then Azula probably bought the whole show. Yeah, because Azula says, oh, I'm staying for the show tonight. She's not saying she's asking for a show. She says, I'm staying for the I mean, show tonight. I would not put it past her to lean on the ringleader to put on a show 
and have that be have that like interaction and chat with Tylee be how Tylee found out about the show. I would not put it past the ringleader to say, oh, wow, the princess of the Fire Nation has graced us with her presence. I'm going to put on a show for her like we'd like to do a show for you tonight. Oh, great. I'd love to stay for it. Fire. So, um, yeah, yeah, but this is the start of the formation of the ultimate girl gang. And we start with, I, I really like that we start with Azula and Ty Lee together mm. and that May comes in last there. I do like that we meet May before we get Azula and Ty Lee. Like we get May on her own and then we link up Azula and Ty Lee and then they link up with May. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good balancing all the new characters. I also think for that balance, it very much could have been the direction that, all right, there's a situation going on in this city. Azula is sent there. You know what I mean? And it could have been, oh, wow, this cool new girl who they don't know is definitely going to join up with them. But they already know each other. Yeah. You know, it was her plan to go there and see May and have May join. Um, But it very much could have been otherwise. Yeah. The the coincidence is that Aang and the group are there. Yes. It's not anything else. Um, And I do really like talking about just how they built the group. I really like that Azula goes and takes Ty Lee to get May. And we know that Azula is building her team. But they also take the time to show that Ty Lee and May know each other. Yes. And have a personal relationship as well. Yes. Yes. And we're going to get to see like how far back those relationships go too. Yeah. Because we, you know, we have a, a trio already established. Mm-hmm. And we ha- we understand the dynamic in that trio because we were there for its formation and for a year since. Yes, and this is the anti-trio to... formation. <laughs> exactly. This is, you know, the evil the evil trio. And we need to have as quickly as possible as much of that background and information as we can in this really efficient way. And I think they do a pretty good job of it right off the bat. I mean, obviously, we're not going to get a year's worth of development in a 20 minute episode. And I mean, I think I think it's fair to say this is the A plot of the 20 minute episode. And, and Team Avatar is, is the B plot. But even so, it's not, you know, 20 minutes. And there also is like a full 20 minutes just for this. And there is no Team Avatar in this episode. Now, my other question to you about this formation that I think we're going to ask multiple times throughout the next, you know, season or two is what are your thoughts on Azula picking two non-benders as her teammates? I don't think that Azula sees people in terms of benders and non-benders. I think Azula sees people in terms of their potential utility. And I think she sees utility in people like bending can be utility, but that's not the only place utility can come from. And we see that from May and Tylee. They are ridiculously accomplished martial warriors. And they both seem pretty cunning in their own right, in their own ways. Azula is devious in her getting Tylee to join her. And Ty Lee knows it the whole way. And we see that Ty Lee knows it the whole way. And then when we do get the whole group together in Omashu, Azula pretty immediately assumes control of the situation from the governor. And, you know, I might be getting ahead of myself, but she sees the governor's plans, sees where the governor is going to fail, where he has not yet, and sees how she can turn the situation from that potential failure 
to her advantage. And I think May is with her in seeing that. She also puts, so again, this is getting a little ahead of ourselves. She puts May at the top of the triangle for the negotiations at the end of this episode. She takes a literal backseat to May Mm -hmm. for this negotiation. And she kind of stands off her shoulder offering advice of like, eh, that doesn't sound like a very good deal. And May's like, you know what? Yeah, no, it isn't. (laughs) And May is the one who leads that. And so, yeah, I definitely see May's cunning and, uh, you know, uh, strategic mind. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can talk more about the the negotiation and the battle at the end when we do when we do that segment later. But, you know, since we're talking about May, when she said when she has that line of, you know, I don't think it is. That's not the first time that she's realizing that. That's not the first no. time she's thinking no, that. No, it is not. All three of them went into that negotiation knowing exactly what they were all trying to make happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it took a lot of convincing on Azula's part to get them on board with that plan. But I think it shows a respect that Azula has for May to even put her at the forefront of, you know what, you're going to lead this negotiation. This is, it's, you know, it's your brother and I uh, trust that you're going to make the right judgment. I'm just, I'm just the muscle here. Like she very much walks into that of like, I'm just the muscle. That's, that's really what I'm here for. I'm just here to support my friend through the hostage negotiation of her little brother. And that's fascinating from where we started with Azula at the top of this episode. Well, I think she was reminded that being the strong representative of the Fire Nation as the princess that she is, is not necessarily always the best move. Mm. And I think she really took that to heart. Interesting take. I don't know if that's why she does it, but I think that's a very interesting perspective. I mean, there's nothing, you know, if she needed to, she could say in a heartbeat in that negotiation, if it didn't go the way she wanted, you know, I am the crown princess and like all the weight that that carries. But if you don't have to say it, why show your hand? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And at the time they think they're just dealing with resistance people. And if she can deal with them and gain intel on them and not have to show her hand, of course she's she's just supporting her friend to get through this. So then they can go on to their real mission, which is tracking down her brother and her buddy, daddy uncle. Alert! All right, so cute animals this episode. We have some new animals. We do. The purple pentapus. So, do you know about those little plushes that are like going super viral right now? Oh, those stupid things that like anytime there's a viral Twitter thing, like so the next thing in the thread is like buy this plush. The little octopus. Yeah. And like on one, if you put it one way, it's happy, and if you put it the other way, it's angry. Yeah, it's a pentapus. It's a pentapus. Like that's all I could think looking at the pentapus. A pentapus is a five-legged invertebrate that leaves red polka dot marks when it when its tentacles are detached from a person's skin. The creature is difficult to remove with brute force once attached, but if one strokes its head, a gesture which the pentapus immensely appreciates, it will readily release its grip. They get so happy. It's so cute. You just tickle it a little. It's like, oh! <laughs> um, I absolutely love them, and they are my number one cute animal. This, I'm, I'm just putting that right at the top. Like, I'll talk about the other ones, but I'm... And uh, they actually, the pluralization of pentapus. Pentapods. No, pentapi. It's noted to be the Latin one, pentapi, 
versus the more conventional English polarization of pentapuses. So it is pentapi from the Latin. I'm, I'm taking linguistic issue with this, but I don't want to get into an, entom- an etymological discussion right now. Yeah, it, it's in the video game. They literally call them pentapi. I have the video game. I should play it. Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, The Burning Earth. Yeah, I have that one. I should play it. I played the first level once. It's bad. I haven't played any of the games, but that's because I didn't play video games growing up. So it's, 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 it's not good. I'm sure. It was around the time that they were trying to do other things with Avatar other than this show. So I get it. Uh, but yeah, uh, and then they create the fictional disease Pentapox with these cute little suckers. I love them. Uh, and these, uh, the tentacles are used to grip the sides of the sewers in order to eat algae and other food. Hmm, good for them. Good for them. Can, so, can we be sad about sad Flopsy now? Flopsy. Yep. So we meet Flopsy again. He was so sad. Going through it. He's having a rough time. I get it. He is. But he sees Aang and uh, is happy to see Aang. I like when Aang goes to be like, all right, let's go find Boomy. Yip, yip. Wait, that doesn't work with you. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I remember I had to pause the episode to finish laughing the first time that I saw that. <laughs> and I'm pleased to report that in my rewatch, I also had to pause the episode to finish laughing. <laughs> Every animal has their key word. <laughs> but they should all be yip yip. Um, no, Sokka gave some very interesting options when he originally was trying to get Sokka to, to get Appa to fly. So, um. Okay, all I'm saying is <laughs> when I get a dog, I'm not going to teach it, like, come here. I'm going to teach it yip yip. Oh, It's going to be amazing, especially if I get, like, one of those big white foof, like a Samoyed. Oh, floof. And I say yip yip and it runs to me, like that'll be awesome. All right. That's super cool. Now you now you want to see me too, just so you can teach it yip yip. Yeah, that that dog accidentally came in second for the cute animal alert this week. (laughs) 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 That fictional dog you just talked about. Um Appa we don't see much of in this episode. Not a whole lot of Appa. Not a whole lot of Appa. You know, we we do get more proof and further evidence that the whistle works. Yes, the whistle that both Sokka and the baby use. Yep. <laughs> I like that Sokka's like, I'm busy fighting other things. Little kid, if you could just blow. <laughs> <laughs> Sokka, thinking outside the box. <laughs> it makes me wonder, because like the kid was reaching for the whistle before Sokka gave him the whistle. Yeah. So like maybe the maybe babies can hear the whistle. Or it's just a really cute toy-shaped thing that a kid would reach for. I'm going to headcanon that it's like high-pitched enough that, you know, children can't hear it, but babies can. Because we, like, your ears do get worse from the time you're a baby to the time you're a child. Yeah. I I think it is also super cute, and kids put things in their mouths all the time. It's what they do. Um, and I can very much imagine uh, at the camp that this this whistle was found by the baby, and the baby continued to grab and try and blow it while Appa was sitting right there. Okay, so if I may pull at your heartstrings and get you on board with this theory. Okay. If the baby can hear the whistle, that means there is a set of frequencies that babies and sky bison can both hear. Mm-hmm. There is no that we cannot. There is no reason to believe that sky, that sky bison can also can hear this range of frequencies, but not be able to produce the sounds. Which means that maybe small children like sky bison 
because they're literally communicating on a level that we can't perceive. Fascinating. And they have a special bond. I have to mull it over a bit, especially because of things we'll learn later about, you know, Sky Bison and the Airbenders. I'll think on it. I'm not ruling it out. That is a fascinating idea. Interesting theory. And I will mull it over, especially in my cute animal alerts. You thought this segment wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> um, can you talk about the messenger hawk that we see for like half a second just to acknowledge its existence so that we can go on with the rest of the show? Yes, yes. They're, uh, mess- <laughs> we haven't done the bit of I'm not about the cute animal alert in a while. I just wanted to bring that back for a second. <laughs> I like it. And no listeners have complained. <laughs> I like it too. I just missed that. I bit. actually had a listener reach out to me of like, so do you want my ideas before you record the swamp <laughs> that you guys can fight about? Yes, please. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna put back yes in long form essay format. <laughs> yeah, direct it if to the email could, so please. that I can see it too. Yeah, yeah. So it puts us on equal ground <laughs> going into the swamp. Uh, messenger hawks are still a very important part of the Fire Nation communication system. And uh, yeah, I, I wanted to point out that we do see the messenger hawk here. <laughs> and they are like peppered in a lot more because in my like memory, it's more the end of the show where we see more messenger hawks. But I didn't realize how integral they are in the society. And I guess, you know, with not much technology, how else are you communicating? So fascinating. And then there's Momo on in momo's lovely adventure in stealing children momo doesn't steal the child momo tries to yeah to get away from the child and the child is like no you're my friend we also learned that momo has mastered at least 87 i think we said 87 ways of jing or no 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 no, no. there are 87 ways of jing there were 85 85 there's a lot of jing there's a lot of jing and momo has mastered many yes I wonder what version of Jing this was for Momo. Getting away from the baby? <laughs> yes. Well, that would be negative Jing because he was That's running negative. away. True. Okay. Okay. But yeah, so uh, Momo is a master of Jing. All to say, Purple Pentapus, the star of this episode. I think I have to go with my fictitious dog. Your fictitious dog? I'll give your fictitious dog a silver star. I just really want a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Colton. Me too. Okay, so there was nothing that blew my mind more as a child, and even still a bit as an adult, that Boomy surrendered. Like Why does we're it wondering blow your mind. We're wondering the whole time of how this very powerful bender let his, you know, who claims to be the most powerful earthbender has been conquered by the Fire Nation. I just, it blew my mind that he would surrender. Why? Because he has seen the genocide that happened to the airbenders. He knows that Aang is out there. He knows there's more to fight for. He knows there's there's hope out there. And I think it really, you know, especially I could understand Aang's need for answers from Boomy after he's seen the Fire Nation wipe out his whole culture of how could Boomy do literally nothing. I mean, I definitely understand Aang's frustration. I understand the soldier's frustration, but I think Boomy made the right call. I mean, I'm not saying Boomy didn't make the right call. I'm just saying my original response to this, 
because I could not see the bigger picture. And I also very much saw Boomy's situation as different than the soldier leading the resi- leading the resistance. I would like to argue against your original reaction for a moment, understanding that it's not your current reaction. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Because I'm like ready to go. Go ahead. Fight I gotta get this Kelly. Out. I, I cannot be held responsible for uh, what 12-year-old Kelly does in response. <laughs> oh, I know she's going to kick me in the head. <laughs> she was she was fierce. <laughs> yeah, I have no doubt about that. Boomy is the king of the entire city. He's not just the commander of the army. He has the lives of every single citizen of Omashu to look out for on his shoulders. He has seen what the Fire Nation does to... Anyone who resists. And you're right. He knows that there is hope in the world and that Aang is out there. The time to fight is coming, but I think he recognizes the time to fight is not there yet. And so what can he do? He can keep as many people alive as possible. How does he do that? He surrenders. He lets them come in. He lets them take the city. It takes so many more troops to take a city than it does to hold it. So if you just surrender all those extra troops that they don't need to hold the city, eventually go away and you can take the city back with far less bloodshed. I think my thought process at the time and, you know, even looking at it now is that my concern at the time was there are still people in this city being hurt. And we've seen what they've done to other Earth Nation villages. We've seen what they've done to the Air Nomads. We've seen what they've done to the Northern Water Tribe, the Southern Water Tribe. How could how could Boomi have all this power and not find a way to get people out from get people out of danger because i see that occupation as still being in a lot of danger as opposed to potentially on the road to bossing say which is a stronghold something to evacuate the city something to have put the like let them take the land but not the people do we ever see the people in danger though we have the resistance underground but they're in an occupied city. They, you know, outside I, of curfew, they seem free to move as they please around the city. Uh, I still think occupation of their city is very much an act of violence and hostility. I'm um, not saying it isn't. I'm just saying that you know, and we and we've seen does not necessarily equate to you know torture and and death. Except we've seen it's now a regime change as well. And we saw the prison camp that the uh, earthbenders of Haru's village were put into for earthbending. We've seen prison camps, um, at least one. And uh, this is the start of the occupation, especially if there is a resistance in the city. There are more people at risk. There is going... It's... Uh, as much as Boomy can hope for a peaceful transition, he's not in a position to negotiate. He is literally caged up except for his face. Like there is no negotiation here. They are in total control. So I think my concern was about, you know, why couldn't Boomy have found a way to get the people out of, out of danger? Um, which eventually Aang, Sokka, and Katara find a way to do. They, they, they become that solution to get the people out of danger. 
And I think that is where Aang's frustration comes from is like, okay, you have this mad genius grand plan yourself, but you haven't shared that with anybody else. And all these other people believe you've abandoned them. They feel lost. They feel abandoned and they're scared. What about them? And to have, I think that is a flaw of Boomy is him keeping so like his mad genius, keeping it to himself and not um, being able to kind of think outside of himself. Whereas that is something that is very much a part of Aang's personality and, and personhood is to constantly think of the protection and safety of others. I think you're right. Um, but the way that I'm thinking about it is if I'm trying to get inside Boomy's head, maybe he's thinking that his his second in command you know, leading the resistance is more in tune with his thinking than in reality. And that the second in command will, instead of leading a resistance, try to get people out. Yeah, his his flaw is he didn't, you know, get that lesson through. But he did manage to get that lesson through to Aang. Because I do think that, you know, Aang suggesting abandon the city, you know, get everyone out. Mm -hmm. That is Aang thinking like Boomy, thinking like a mad genius. Mm Mm-hmm. Live to fight another day. And that's, you know. And that and that is okay. And that's where I see the leader of the resistance and his struggle of do I fight or do I live to lead another uh, to fight another day is very different from Boomy's because Boomy has the power and has the control over the situation. Whereas the leader of the resistance doesn't really have control over the situation going on around him. And so um, I think that's where this conversation between Aang and Boomy about Boomy's choices is important to come from Aang. Because Aang also believes that there is, he definitely believes there is the live to fight another day. He's done it. He did it at the Southern Water Tribe. He does it every time he's running from Zuko. He understands that on a level, but he sees it past himself. And he sees it past himself because he's lost people. He's lost all of his people. And I think as much as Boomy gets through to Aang on, you know, why he did what he did, I think Aang kind of gets through to Boomy of why he's upset with him, why he feels let down. Battle at the end. Battle at the end. I mean, we already talked about the negotiation before. Talked the about the negotiation. Um, some people. Okay, so some people don't like May calling off the deal because they're like, "That's her little brother." She because again, May gets this bad rep for you know being cool goth girl that she is. She doesn't care about people. Like that's her baby brother, and she just like tosses him away. Like. <sighs> I don't know. That's why? Yeah. Seriously. First of all, I'm surprised that people don't like that. And second of all, it's like She gets she got a lot of flack for that. May Because the well the main thing me is as someone who is very good at reading people. Mm-hmm. And like I think you can tell the kid was never in danger. Exactly. Well, the main again, one of the main reasons people don't like May is because it messed with one of their ships, which was Zutara. And they're like, May could never really care about people. May never really loves people. She she can't feel emo- she doesn't do emotions. Like she couldn't even care about her baby brother being threatened. And I'm like, really didn't take the context of what this episode is. Her she I think she's smart enough to know her brother is never in trouble. Also, she's a bad guy right now. Yeah. They sometimes <laughs> do questionable things. 
<laughs> yeah. She's a villain. She's a villain. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, thought, I, I think it's May being smart and reading the situation appropriately. She's like, yeah, look at that sucker over there holding my little brother. He's not a killer. <laughs> it's just also she's got her two strong friends behind her and there's nothing the three of them can't handle they don't know this is the avatar yeah they don't know this is the avatar they think it is just three people who are a part of the resistance they are with the resistance they are with the resistance and there is nothing that may tylee and azula can't take on and win so why wouldn't they why wouldn't they be able to retain the king in imprisonment plus get the brother back there's no there's nothing to say otherwise even if these three are like the biggest deal in the resistance she's just gonna be like listen big deal like i don't care yeah yeah she can handle it yeah she took she took on all three of those resistance people by herself prior to this. Yeah, I think so, she has them figured out. Like, she figured out the truth. Yeah. I just thought I'd point that out because, again, you don't have the knowledge of, of that background. I, yeah, this yeah was, I don't have, this like, was a, a big deal. fandom Yeah, this history. was a big deal. So, But uh, we get to see Azula's mother turkey ducking flames. Turkey ducking? Is this a new, you're coining this term now, turkey ducking? That is, that is what I'm calling it. Just because just I... Just because I use the turkey duck, it's fine. It's okay. I'm not even going to fight that. Uh, Turkey duck in flames. Blue mother turkey duck in flames. Okay, but just, just, I'm confused on the language here. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You've touched something in me. Go ahead. Mother turkey ducking seems redundant because shouldn't turkey be replacing mother in the expression? Shouldn't it be turkey ducking flames, not mother turkey ducking flames? Probably, but I'm Kelly and I'm weird and I decided to say it this way. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> okay, Mother Turkey Duck and Flames. <laughs> Mother Turkey Duck and Flames. Okay, Azula, yeah, Azula's Blue Flames. Azula's Blue Flames. Blue fire, it's cool. I'm so excited. So this is where th- there's debate over whether this is the first official of the Blue Flames. because totally the did... first official Blue Flame. That was lightning before, not fire. Okay, there is there is discussion over it because people there is lightning in her thing, but she does go to form the blue flame when she's fighting Zuko. And but people there is again a gray area of discussion of was that lightning or was that fire because her fire is blue and it was just in the formations of what she was going to do. So what was it? It was all it was all like, bzz, bzz, but, like zappy lightning, hard angles. I'm just giving you the context. I very much agree that this is the first time that we see her blue flames. <laughs> so. Bzz, bzz, bzz is, is my lightning sound, by the way, as opposed yeah. to like the of fire, you know, it's, it's, it's fully marked. I like the bzz, bzz, bzz. I think yeah, that's bzz, very bzz, good. Bzz. I think it's, I think it's accurate. It, oh, it makes a nice, it looks cool on the waveform. but uh yeah she's got her blue flames and also this is where in this battle that is where they realize this is the avatar and that's where i realized azula has not seen the avatar azula hasn't seen the avatar (laughs) this is the first time i realized it i was like I like in my like no in my history i guess i thought she already Especially because they had that whole, like, they had a mug shot, didn't they? They had a picture of what the Avatar looks like. Yeah, they have wanted posters. They have wanted posters. They don't have wanted posters of Katara and Sokka yet, which I understand. That's not as, that's not as well known 
of who he's traveling with, but they do have more wanted posters of him. So, but then again, that was in the provinces and probably wouldn't have gotten back directly. I mean, I'm sure rumors and word and news. Rumors and word and like, yeah. Azula doesn't seem the type to put a whole lot of stock in that. Yeah. And at least enough to have seen a picture or a drawing. Um, And even then it's a drawing. So who knows how accurate it is. So this is where she's like, this is the avatar. Um, so yeah, pretty amazing. And throughout this battle, there are some Azula chimes that are just choice. I just, I really love that it goes full Pirates of the Caribbean. Like she grabs the rope, kicks the thing and just starts flying up. (laughs) They had actually planned to have this battle as a Zuko Aang fight earlier on, but they scrapped it and then decided to do Azula Aang instead. And I'm very glad that they did. It works really well. And the whole chase sequence with the boomy surfing. Yes. She is unafraid to just go like full force. And she's she's a creative fighter. And that's what I really love about Azula's style is she's constantly innovating how she fights and how she moves. And I can really see like both Ty Lee and May's influence in her fighting. Yeah, the way that she and Aang both are constantly looking to their environment to give them a level of upper hand makes especially the fact that they're going directly against each other in this showdown just so interesting. Especially because so much of the fighting between Aang and Zuko, especially later in season one, is so personal. And this is not personal. No, not at all. And I think something that I think of when this is our first battle of Azula and Aang is that these are the people that Zuko sees as very similar because Zuko's the one in the cave. You know, I know he's not in this episode, but I'm going to bring him up. Uh, Zuko in the cave says, you know, like my, my sister was uh, born lucky and that, you know, you're, you're a lot like her type of thing. And he, he makes that comparison for us to then see the two of them, Duke it out. Battle each other. Oh, yeah. And they are both very, very similar and very evenly matched. Yes, they are very evenly matched. Speaking of evenly matched, Katara takes on two. Yeah, yeah. And she is, I just, this is where I'm like, girl, you are just working so hard. She, I remember at the very beginning where she was struggling to lift a fish. And now here she is fighting two different people. And... At the beginning, we think that she has the upper hand because, all right, she's a bender and these two are not. So she probably has a bit more of an advantage. And then Ty Lee introduces chi blocking. We don't even call it chi blocking in this episode. We don't even get that much. All we know is she... She took away Katara's bending. Yeah. Holy crap. What a game changer. What a game changer. Um, And then May mocks her. Yes. And that's where Sokka comes in. His, I seem to manage. Oh my God. So sassy. I love sassy Sokka. Amazing. But this is big brother Sokka energy coming in and being like, yeah, no, I I trust my little sister to, to, to fight her own battles, but now I got her. I got her back always, you know? 
And it shows that as much as Team Avatar heavily relies on their benders and battles, Sokka can hold his own because, you know, at first it looks like he's just kind of running away, but he had the baby. He had the baby. Of course, he's not going to run into fight. He's carrying a child. Well, that's the thing that I think that's like the interesting thing about this fight is everyone goes into it with a different set of goals at the start than they had at the end. Mm. And we have these two trios facing off against each other that have to change tactics and change objectives mid fight on a dime, non-verbally as quickly as possible. And they do like both teams do it. But that's where I think both teams excel is leaning on each other, trusting each other to have each other's backs. Oh, I of mean, course, and- but I think the the fact that they're putting, you know, this doesn't have to be the way it happens. It's a made-up show, you know? It's, it's fake and it's on TV. Like, they were put in this situation with these changing goals so that we could see, okay, this evil trio is very much the trio, the the mirror, the parallel, the foil to the trio we've been watching. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so interesting to see, like you said, the battles kind of turn on a dime in what is happening. And I mean, the Azula gang, they go into it not understanding that they're fighting a waterbender and an airbender. They have no idea. And then they realize that and then they say, okay, all right. Um, they... Aang and uh, Katara and Sokka did not realize that Zuko's sister was one of the girls standing standing among them. So they're like, okay, we we plan for maybe three firebenders. There's one. There's just one. But oh, no, she is a lot stronger than we thought. And one of them is throwing knives and the other one one of them is is throwing knives. And then what is the other one doing? And the other one comes in with a style they have never seen before that stops Katara's bending. Fascinating. And we have never seen that before. And I think this is a very innovative episode and very important episode. I would say um, kind of similar to Northern Air Temple in introducing an element of combat. I mean, Northern Air Temple, we introduce, you know, the war balloons and the, the tanks a bit more and the technology aspect. This is where we introduce another combat style that can change the game of the war. And it's just from this one girl who does a bunch of handstands. <laughs> Hence, Tylee, best girl. <laughs> also, Tylee's first move in this fight as it breaks out, protect the kid. Yep. Protect my friend's little brother. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that given the strengths of her team, that is Tylee's objective of the three. The three of them going into it, it is, all right, May, you go in with your knives. You you go in on the aggressive, you know, and you're take the lead on the negotiate on the negotiation. Uh, work the aggressive. I will uh Azula will handle any benders because they don't know how many benders will be there, how many won't. Azula will help handle benders. Tylee, get the kid. She's the most agile. Yeah. And she's the quickest. Take that, May haters. <laughs> the three of them, the three of them perfectly balance each other. And they're faced against Katara, Sokka, and Aang, who also perfectly balance each other. And it makes for one of the most interesting battle scenes for me. So if our new trio is a Mm -hmm. mirror and a foil to Team Avatar, I think it's easy to say that Azula is the Aang. Yes. What do you think about the rest? May, Katara, Sokka, Tylee. Interesting. I go the other way. Oh! Tylee, Katara. 
May is the Sokka. Ooh, tell me more. Tell me more. Uh, Ty Lee seems to have Katara's little bit of, you know, not always 100% sure of herself, but also low-key, probably on the more powerful side of things. Uh, and May just seems so tactical. Mm. And also misunderstood. Okay, okay. This this conversation, I wasn't going into, even after watching the episode, I wasn't going into the rest of the show thinking that I need to pay more attention to May. But I think <laughs> I've convinced myself, and I think you've convinced me some by, like, <laughs> turning me on to some of the criticisms of May, that <laughs> May is the Sokka of her group, and I need to watch her more closely. Okay, I think that's really interesting. And maybe I'll reconsider mine. I'll, I'll just say my thought process is uh, I feel like May and Katara have very similar. Uh, uh, they're both ambitious mm. and they are both constantly pushing themselves. Um, and they can be the group's worst critic as well as their own worst critic. Um, I think Ty Lee is very can be very much the glue of the group. And that is where I see Sokka a lot as well is very much the glue of the group of here's how we can. All right, guys, you know, you both have your very big, strong opinions on this. Mm -hmm. How do we work through this? I see that very much with Ty Lee and May and Azula um, because May and Azula are both very opinionated people. And Ty Lee can be that kind of bridge between them. I think so. this will be interesting as it continues to come up throughout the show. <laughs> I think so, too. Oh, I'm excited about this. I'm glad that you have a differing opinion of like of this because I don't know. I don't know how like stuck I am on mine. Um, I don't think I am stuck on it. I think this is the first time I've really thought about it. So same. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. And I just I I think the trio is a very fascinating dynamic and I'm ready. I'm here for it. I love it. All right, let's go. So, you know, I'm always all about like the philosophy behind the different bending styles and the different ways different individuals interpret bending and interact with bending. I think I'm all that's always going to be a thing that interests me. And we get more of that this week. <laughs> yes, we do. We get boomy giving Aang a good hard lecture about the nature of earthbending. I totally forgot that this episode is about, you know, Aang went here so he could learn earthbending from Boomy. Like, he's like, I need a new master. I Like, I need a new teacher. And that teacher needs to be an earthbender. I've got my waterbender. I need my earthbender. And he came here for Boomy for that. And I totally forgot about it throughout the episode until this end conversation. <laughs> and, you know, he learns no earthbending moves. None. Well, he does He does learn that apparently you can earthbend without being connected to the ground. Or without your most of your body. That he can earthbend with his face. Yeah. But he, he doesn't learn, like, you know, any specific techniques. No. But he, I think he gets a really important earthbending lesson. Yes. And I'm just gonna just, just straight, you know, earthbending is about listening and waiting for the moment to strike. And this is what... And this is what Boomy calls neutral Jing. Yeah, he talks about, because this is Aang interrogating Boomy. Yes. <laughs> about doing nothing. About doing nothing, which, uh, again, like I've said, I think Aang had every right to do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, 
I I can agree with Boomy's decision and still think I think that Aang deserves an explanation. Yes. Um, especially because it's Aang. Yes. And I I like the discussion about you know positive Jing on the attack and negative Jing on the retreat. I think defense would be better, but I'm okay with retreat. Um, <laughs> and so like yeah, what's what's in the middle doing nothing. Neutral Jing. Yeah. Do neutral Jing. Nothing. One of the 85 Jings. Yes. 85? I think it's many, 87. Many Jing. One of the 80 something Jings. I'm pulling up the Jing tab now. No, 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 no. Don't pull it up. Don't get it right. Well, if we're wrong, people will yell at us. It's okay. It's true. Okay. Go ahead. One of the many Jings of which Momo is probably a master. Um, <laughs> actually, I don't think Momo is a master of doing nothing. I take that back. No. I retract that. He's statement. a master of many Jings. Uh, but Jing 3 is not one of them. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but yeah, I like that. I like this take on earthbending, like listening to the land. I think it's also just such a brilliant setup for who Aang's earthbending teacher will be. And it says, I can't, you know, it's not going to be me. Sorry, it's not going to be me, Aang, King Boomy. No, no, I'm signing off. But, and I'm not even, I'm not even going to tell you who it could be. Like, I'm not even going to give you other options. Like, oh, I, I'm not currently accepting students at this time, <laughs> but there are five more in your area. Like, no, he gives, he says, this is the type of person. And when you find that person, you will know by this trait that they listen and wait for the right moment to strike. And it gives this brilliant foreshadowing for the viewer to say to when they see that moment, they'll have it just go <gasps> this big gasp, either right with Aang or right before Aang. And it's so exciting, that anticipation. But I think on top of that, Bumi also gave us a tool that we can use to look at other earthbenders that we've seen. Like, I can look at this and say, oh, yeah, so Fong, probably not a good teacher because he's just all positive Jing, and that's not what earthbending is. And Haru and his family are more of the negative Jing. Mm-hmm. I think what's also interesting is if we take this idea of Jing and apply it towards the other types of bending, where do those fall, you know? Because I, uh, the, the big thing that we'll learn is that the element that is considered opposite to the avatar's birth element is the most difficult one for him to master, for him or her to master. And this concept of neutral Jing is very foreign to Aang. Like he, he this is, this is the first time he's hearing of it. Um, and well, he's is, all negative Jing. Yeah. Yeah. This is. And even, you know, Katara is very positive, Jing. So is Zuko. I And even even Sokka right now is very positive, Jing. Yeah. Um, so it is very foreign to Aang to, uh, and it's not just that Aang is going to learn how to earthbend, is that he is going to learn how to relook at situations and battles and analyze and make his decisions because there is now a new option for him. And it takes time to process that new way of thinking. So it's going to be not just, you know, oh, I'm learning a new element, learning new physical forms. But learning a whole new way to think on top of that. And Boomy is setting him up for that challenge. I also think it's interesting that, to my mind, we have seen 
one other neutral Jing character in the show. Who? Iroh. Thank you for listening to The Pie Show. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find our show notes at thepieshow.fm slash 23. If you'd like to reach us, you can send us a tweet at The Pie Show. Or email us at thepieshowpodcast at gmail.com. And next week, we battle at the swamp. best thing about this uh this battle at the end though is that we now have a third we have a third target now out out from this episode comes we've now we've got two triangles and now we've created a third triangle in that uh azula has changed her mission like she has another mission now it's not just her versus zuko and iroh she now has her sights on the avatar like the end of this episode gave us i feel like this the end of this episode really packed a lot in we have the hint that you know there's something going on with may and zuko we have azula now making the avatar a target and we hear avatar's love to end the episode just like those three moments really just had me on a whiplash i'll be honest it's a lot it's a lot